you know, being disciplined with what you do, that's it. You know, Monday to Friday in the studio, as much time as you can. Let's do, let's, let's do this. Come on. Music doesn't write itself. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the EDM Podcast. My name is Sam Mettler, I'm your host, and on this show, I interview artists, engineers, people in the industry, people doing cool stuff. We talk about production, we talk about creativity, we talk about marketing, all the good stuff. And today's episode is with Audio Freak. He's an Australian producer based in the Netherlands, well known for making hardstyle music, but he is a multi-genre producer. And this interview is is definitely in my top five. Uh, We have a great discussion. We talk a lot about creativity, about discipline, about uh, how to deal with being inspired by artists that are much better than you, but not, but at the same time, not getting discouraged from how good their music is. Uh, We talk about Audiology, which is his second artist album. We talk about making hardstyle kick drums, uh, how he starts a track, what his daily schedule looks like the biggest mistakes he sees new producers making and a bunch more. Like I said, fantastic interview. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. If you do enjoy it, please make sure to share this episode. Uh, Make sure to follow us on SoundCloud slash EDMProd and you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you want to do that, just go to edmprod.com slash iTunes. That's all for now. Without further ado, here is Audio Freak. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Sam, uh, also known as Audio Freak. Sam, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, I think you're the first hard style slash hard dance. I don't know how to categorize you, you and your music. Uh, I think you're the first hardstyle guy we've had on, so I'm super excited for this interview. Uh, Fantastic. But I want to go all the way back to the start. How did you initially get into music? Tell us a bit about your background. Oh, that's going back. Um, I guess my first sort of foray into music, like the the first memory that I have of of being exposed to electronic music was probably through games. Mm. Um, There was a, a Sonic game on the pc and you know this is back in the days where the music was stored on the cd as audio so the first track was the data track and the rest of the cd was was all the music and and some sound effects and whatever and that was probably my first uh exposure to any sort of electronic music um that i had you know the parents were listening to you know whatever uh, they were listening to at the time but th- at that moment when i discovered that i was like wow this is really cool this is really energetic um, I want to hear more of it. And then slowly just through, through being exposed to some stuff on the radio. So like in, in the late nineties, uh, in Sydney, we had a radio station called wild FM and they played a lot of like, um, house trance and, and even sort of, uh, hardcore music, uh, from, from, from back in the day. So like, yeah, it was a, a kind of organic thing, I guess. Um, just being exposed to bits and pieces here and there, just through your know, culture and media and whatever. And, and from that, how did you get into producing music was there a certain point Um, where you just said i need to make this stuff oh definitely like i I was in high school at the time and i just sort of like there were people learning how to dj and 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 playing at at raves and stuff but for me i was more about okay they're playing other people's music Mm. i want to learn how to make my own music i want to be in control uh and i want to learn how to do this you know it wasn't enough for me to just listen to music uh i wanted to make my own stuff and from there, uh, sort of like there wasn't really that much by way of sequences out there. You know, there was like Fast Tracker and stuff, and, and I couldn't get my head around it. And I started playing with some things, and then Sony Acid Music came out. And from there, I started picking things up. 
um, on putting things together. We're trying to put some music together on a, on a, on a Pentium 166. And, um, and yeah, and it all just kind of grew from there. Different sequences are sort of pop up. I'd hear about some things on the on the internet. Um, a friend of mine gave me a, a burnt CD with, uh, I think it was Reason 2.0. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I started <laughs> playing around with, with that and understanding the concept of like wiring things because it was like a modular yeah, kind of bit yeah. of software. <clears throat> and then just building from there, some new bit of software would come out. And like, oh, I can't use this with Reason. Why not? Oh, VST, what's that? Okay, and, and then things just started growing and growing just through, through through the internet and just hearing things on message boards. So I'm not a huge fan of this question, but a lot of people are always curious. How long do you think it took you uh, to get to the point where your music was decent or at least not embarrassing? Uh, for me, I would say probably 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because... Uh, I guess, you know, I, I listen to a lot of um, really finely produced stuff. So I'm a big fan of Noisy and I'm a b- big oh, yeah. fan of BT. And yeah. both those two groups, while they're quite different in their in their styles, have like absolutely magnificent production. And when I compared, and I have been always constantly comparing my music to theirs, and I think, wow, like how far away <laughs> is my quality from their quality? And in my opinion, it's taken me, you know, probably 10 years to say, all right, this isn't embarrassing. This is something that sounds not quite as technical, but on getting to a, to a level uh, that it, it can be even the same genre as what these guys are doing. So, you know, and, but the thing is, it wasn't like 10 years, like full on, um, you know, nine to five, it was, you know, he's juggling between jobs and school and college and whatever. Um, and it was, yeah, it's a slow sort of growth. And the thing is like, my musical path for a long time was kind of like a solo. They, I didn't have any friends or, or colleagues that were doing anything with me. And it wasn't until a little bit later on in, the, in that 10-year period that I had people, like-minded uh, fellow producers, up-and-coming producers, that you know could kind of help uh, shape the path and sort of like, you know, and you rub off on each other and yeah. like, hey, I learned this and hey, I learned that. I didn't have that for a long time. I was just kind of by, my, by myself without YouTube, no instructions, no nothing, just reading random bits on on, on, uh, on weird message boards or whatever. <laughs> so it was kind of like a weird, long, solo path. And so I wouldn't say that these days it'll take 10 years for somebody. I reckon in, in about two or three, right. you can get to like a comparable quality nowadays. Yeah, there's, there's two things that I want to talk about. The first is, uh, you know, you mentioned that you were doing it all alone for a long time and then started building the community. Uh, how did you go about doing that? Because a lot of people who listen to this are in that position where they're like they they don't know many producers um they want a mentor i mean were you deliberate about that or did it just kind of happen organically oh no 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 i was a victim of circumstance Hmm. um just because you know when i was starting out and and uh, for my kind of music so i was doing uk hardcore at the time there wasn't really that many producers you know a a lot of the energy of what was going on was happening over in the uk and i was based in Hmm. sydney at the time so there wasn't anyone just physically around and um you know it, it wasn't as easy to communicate there was no facebook there was no myspace uh there was just random bits of message boards here and there and and, and of course you know eventually somebody will pop up that's like, oh yeah we're in the same city we'll, we'll hang out nowadays it's a lot easier there's so many facebook groups mm. there's so many tutorials and stuff on youtube it becomes a lot easier to connect with somebody and connect with a com- huge community of people um, uh, to, to, you know, understand and get to the, the, the very basics or even if you're, you know, right there nearly at the top, nearly professional to sort of find some more um, direction and stuff. So, yeah, well, it wasn't a, a, a deliberate choice by me, not at all. Right, right, gotcha. Uh, you know, you talked about BT and Noisia, great producers, my favourite too. But comparing your music to others, I mean, this is something that we all do. Uh, and for for a lot of people, it can be kind of discouraging. How do you deal with that? How do you compare your music? You listen to Noisy, you go, I'm not there yet, and not feel discouraged at the same time. Well, um, I guess because I've been kind of making music for a long time, and uh, there's a lot of sort of self-reflection that goes in the process as well, understanding um, your own sort of limits uh, and understanding how you work as a creative individual as well. So, you know, it can be if you were to look at it from a very basic perspective, like you just started out, you just got your copy of Fruity Loops or downloaded Ableton Live, and you listen to Noisio. Of course, it's going to floor you and be like, no, no, no. But then the way I listen to it these days is like, 
you know, if I listen to the the, the new album, Outer Edges, yeah. a lot of the stuff was like really next level. And I just think, right, okay, cool. This is a new standard. Uh, let's try and figure out what's happened here. Every every new track or every new album is a new lesson for me to learn. And and, and I'm not really discouraged. And if anything, I'm more encouraged. I'm like, right, now this is my vision for the next 12 months. How do I decipher what's going on in this music? How do I, you know, get my skills up to that level, you know, instead of being, yeah, so sort of like, wow, yeah, I'll never make it. <laughs> yeah. I love that, though. I think I've always kind of held that view that, other music is is a lesson and you can learn so much from just listening to it definitely definitely i I feel the same and that's that's one of the reasons why like i try and listen to a pretty diverse uh palette of music you know like two weeks ago i was listening to film scores i'm a big fan of uh i think his name is uh harry gregson gregory williams he did the score for total recall and he's done a whole bunch of other stuff as well uh alan silvestri and and like they they've got lessons within themselves, even if it's not what people, um, you know, are normally used to hearing to if, uh, in the in the um, in, in the EDM world. So you know, every piece of music is is a lesson, whether you like it or not. I think the moment that you start developing as a producer, you can look past what you like and what you don't like, and then you can try and figure out how does this work and what don't I like about it, and then how would I change it to make it mm. something that I would like. Um, but yeah. that comes with time that comes with time yeah absolutely i think it's i think it's easy to get stuck in uh you know the the genre bubble and just listen to i don't know if you make trance just listen to trance constantly but i, I don't think that leads to innovation uh or creativity so definitely definitely and, and and it's quite limiting to sort of think that way as well you know mm. i mean um i think I read an interview once with a, uh, a drum bass DJ called Fotec, and he said, what you make in your genre comes from the influences that you've been listening to outside that genre. Mm. And that's, um, that's particularly true. And that's, uh, and I, I carry that lesson with me whenever I jump in the studio and try and make, you know, a hard, hard style. My hard style isn't the same sort of thing as, as a whole bunch of other people like noise controllers or atmospheres or code black, or whatever. Mm. Um, I'm looking to bring in the influences that I've been listening to outside of, of that genre, like be it, you know, dubstep or glitch hop or, or trap or whatever, or, or movie scores. And I think that's so important to sort of keep an open mind. Um, you know, I've got this friend, right. And he, I've known him since I started producing he still listens to, to 90s trance and he won't listen to anything else. Wow. And fair play, he's got his taste, but at the same time, it's like, how, how do you grow? You know, I was talking to him yesterday. I was like, hey man, so do you know Jack Hughes? Do you know Diplo Skrillex? Yeah. Do you know this kind of music? He's, no nah, man, it's not 90s trance. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so it can be quite limiting and it's a shame, I mm. think, um, to get stuck in that bubble of like, well, you know, I only want to produce this style of music um, even though the electronic music world is so big, mm. I only want to produce this, so I'm only going to listen to this, um, when in fact, you know, there's lessons to be learned from everywhere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to talk about uh, audiology in, in just a moment, but kind of a, non, a non-production question that follows from this is, uh, it's been happening for the past few years, but a lot of people complain that the, EDM or electronic music scene or industry has, has become generic and and boring in terms of the music that's being put out. And do you think that's because people are, uh, are getting stuck in these bubbles and not pushing themselves and not trying new things? Uh, what are your thoughts on on that? Look, I, I think it's a, it's less of of that being the case of where like people are getting stuck in bubbles, but more that the industry has become so much more. And I don't want to say this in a bad way, um, commercialized. Um, It's become a a machine. You know, the dance music industry is a proper industry now. Ten years ago, that wasn't the case. It was a little bit hodgepodge. Things were going here and there. It wasn't quite as professional or uh, like a well-worded machine now. Like if you look at spinning records, um, when they sign a new artist, bam, new press shots, new logo, new this, new that, this is happening, you know, the tracks aren't good enough, right, we're going to send them to this engineer, and everything happens so quickly, and it's so polished, and everything is so refined, because it's turned to, you know, the, the electronic music scene has turned into, into this huge machine, and that's good, and that's bad, um, it's good when you're on the cusp of that, and, you know, you can, you really, uh, when, you're, when you're right there, 
and you're in that wave, you've caught that wave, you can make a lot of money and you can travel the world, you can do a lot of cool stuff. But at the same time, when something becomes a machine like that, you lose the organic nature and then the, the, uh, the experimental nature of it. You know, it's like a, like yeah, a sausage, yeah. you know, or a sausage machine. You, okay, you, you, you get a cow, there's so many interesting cuts of meat on there. Um, you've got the, the ribs that could do something, you've got sirloin, you, you've got your top side, you've got New York steak, everything. But if you just stick it into the sausage machine, it becomes so homogenized, it gets minced up, and then you're just left with this product. Mm. And that's unfortunately what I see is happening now. So it's less of like people's choice. Uh, well, I guess that's got to do with it as well, because at the end of the day, people are still listening to the music yeah, and yeah. they kind of have their tastes. And if, if it wasn't popular, if, then the people at the top wouldn't be doing it. But at the same time, as it's become this machine, that sort of turned things a little bit more yeah, homogenized and sterile. Do you think, do you think it can last forever, though? Because, I mean, surely this kind of thing, I don't know if collapse oh, is the right word, but. Nothing lasts forever. And I think everything has its phases because. Mm. Uh, if you look at what happened in, like, the Beatles era, that was turning into a bit of a machine there as well. You know, you had the Beatles, and then you had the Monkees, the the guys that came afterwards, and they were, like, almost a purely manufactured group right. um, that were doing a very similar style of music. And then after that, you know, as the styles changed, more groups would do the same thing. And so I think, you know, while electronic music is... I kind of think like the, 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 the pinnacle of where music can go just because of how quickly it can be produced and yeah. like what, what's next. How do you, how do you blend things? We've already done the hybrid electronic stuff with acoustic stuff, you know, people looking to go forwards now, mm. but I think, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's going to dry up. People are always in the need of, of this sort of commercialized way of, 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 of making music, consuming music, yeah, this whole course. industry thing. Maybe the, the, the genre might change a little bit here and there, but uh, I think we've kind of yeah come into it to, to, to a bit of a rut that's mm-hmm. going to continue on for at least another decade. Yeah. I don't know about the whole thing like collapsing in it. So maybe look, cause I was, I have a friend who's a ghost producer and he does a lot of stuff uh, for, for some of the bigger guys. Um, yeah. he's, he's based in LA and um, he does sort of stuff for the big EDM guys. And he's been saying, look, it's, it, it's collapsing. It's not going to be the same way. And that can mean a lot of things as well. Like industry wise, maybe the pe- the, the huge DJs at the top aren't getting as much money or this thing, but music style. I don't think so. I think, I think it's going to continue on for a while. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, okay, so so audiology, what is it, and how did the project come about? Um, okay, so this is my second album, and it kind of started up as I finished the first one. I don't know, I think I'm a bit of a masochist, a bit of a sucker for punishment. <laughs> um, like I had all these ideas left over about things that I wanted to do on the last album, even though I was exhausted as soon as I finished it, I was yeah. like, right. Okay. Well, there's this that I didn't do. And there's this that I didn't do. You didn't take like a holiday or a break or something. Oh, a little bit of a break, <laughs> but, but the ideas had already started coming into my mind yeah. as I'd finished, uh, finished the last one. And so this is kind of like a follow up album. Um, but in my opinion, pushing more boundaries, exploring more genres and sounds um, than than the last one. So the last one, the last album was was predominantly hard style, and that's my, that's my fan base. But there was you know some some techno stuff, some harder techno stuff at like 130 BPM, and there was some like drum step um, and, and and drum and bass and stuff. And 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 now I was like, all right, I've I've, I've done that. How can I? make it even better and and what have i learned over the past three years since i started the last album to put into the next one and and you know as the ideas started coming in together a little story came in as well like how, how can i blend everything and it's all got to do with the the front cover the front cover is like this pixel art thing with a with a guy standing in front of like this big sort of mechanical robot creature thing and the the the, the music on the album uh it sort of takes you through a bit of a journey as this little guy is 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 getting up to this giant machine so it's it's a bit of a concept album um but you know, I think albums, in a way, should have some sort of concept yeah. behind them, and they should be, um, you know, like what the artists can do, almost like a showcase of their abilities, um, rather than just sort of like a collection, like a big LP of like, hey, these are the last twelve tracks that I've made uh, over the past few months or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, a very organic process. I've, I've had some some interesting sort of creative strategies to try and come up with new ideas. You know, I had this thing called. Uh, chance dance music where I, I got a set of dice and then each dice was sort of like 
um, had a number. That, or each dice represented something on a particular table, and they were different attributes of music. You know, that is so cool. Things. It was just, you know, and, and this was all part of like the creative strategy of yeah. like, hey, how can I push myself further? Like if I set limitations, like, all right, today I'm going to make uh, Aztec angry trap, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the, you know, the tracks on the, on the album. It started from, from this particular strategy. So, you know, the, the album Audiology is, is, you know, I want to say it's like my best work because um, mm. I feel like I've, I've grown a lot over the past few years since the, the first album. Um, but also it's, it's, a, it's a cool listening experience as well. So, you know, this is your second album. What's the hardest thing about working on an album? Uh, the deadlines. <laughs> um, look, I, I guess it depends um, what you want your album to do. Um, my album, I, my vision is to, so that it can be chucked in the car and put on for the whole length. So you can listen to it from start to finish. It's not just like a, here's a hit track and here's a hit track and here's yeah. a hit track and that. There you go. Now, the whole thing is kind of like a, a story. It, I've got, I had a vision. So that can be really hard when you've kind of got this big picture and then you've got to work on the small scale, that can be difficult. Um, mm. And some people don't work like that. Like that's, you know, very concept sort of stuff that I sort of picked up from seeing interviews with bands and stuff. Um, but so that can be difficult for other people. Uh, their challenges with albums is kind of like, right. Um, okay. I have a particular style or sound. Um, if I do 12 of these tracks, is it going to be boring? And like, how do I branch outside of that? Now that can be quite difficult as well. I'm kind of lucky in that regard because I'm a, a bit more of a versatile producer. So I have a lot of um, sort of colors uh, on my palette to sort of go and do different styles and everything. But if you're going to do, you know, if you're quite limited in, in what you do, you're famous for only one thing and then you do an album and it either doesn't meet the expectations or you, like I said, you're limited, so you can only do a certain amount of things. That can be really difficult as well. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, what advice would you give to a producer listening to this who's thinking of creating their first album? Uh, I guess the the thing that helped me the most was like doing a lot of planning before I jumped into the studio and, and started mm-hmm. making things. So like I had a particular visions sort of set out for, for different tracks like you know, oh, this one's going to be a little bit like this, or this one's going to be like this, or I've got these vocals that uh, I really want to do something with, or I know this person, this singer-songwriter that I really want to do something with. Having those things sort of like all almost ready to go, or at least in the planning stages, that helps a great deal because then you're not like, right, okay, uh, the album deadline's in a week and I need to finish two tracks. What the hell am I going to write? You know, so (laughs) I tried to avoid that. So, you know, a bit of pre-planning, just like when you're cutting up some ingredients before you cook something in the the kitchen, before you cook a meal or whatever, you get your ingredients, you do a bit of pre-prep and then away you go. And that's, I think the same thing applies to music and working on an album. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's crucial advice. Uh, how do you go I want to switch gears how do you go about making your kick drums because I've never really attempted to make a hard style kick myself but from what I've heard they're, they're pretty difficult yeah like it's a it's a it's a funny sort of thing that's been floating around the internet over the past couple of years that um, you know the hard style kick drum is like one of those pinnacle things um, that's quite difficult to, to produce now you know this goes way back uh, to the early 90s where the, the Dutch hardcore guys um, started messing around with, you know, the TR-909. And most kicks come from a similar sounding thing as a 909 kick. Uh, some producers will only use a 909 to start off with. Uh, I use a 909 emulation from uh, F-Expansion's Tremor. Yep. But then the process is pretty much EQing and then distorting and then EQing the distortion and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And And I know that sounds really vague, but that's essentially what the process is you're 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 distorting something isolating some resonant frequencies that you want to bring out and then you're distorting further until you get that crunch and like my plug-in chain for that is probably you know maybe a good 20 inserts and the sound that you start with is completely different to the sound that you you say did you say 20 inserts yeah, yeah, yeah. Far out. And, uh, that's that's and that's just for one particular style. You know, if you want, if you want you know, a more of like a crunchy style, you might chuck in some other things. It might go yeah. even longer. And that's just for the basic sort of thing. That's not even assembling the whole thing. So if I wanted wow. to, you know, make the kick, I was going through uh, one of my ones today, just looking at the project. Right, okay, got my nine oh nines 
sounding kind of thing, uh, EQ distortion, blah, 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 the whole thing goes on. And then I'll bounce that down, and then I'll take that into to, to, to Cubase because the audio editing is really nice there. And then, um, again, you know, another process. All right, well, okay, I'll, I want a little bit more 3K, and then uh, the harmonics down here are not too good. And then, you know, so it's a long, it's a long process of, like, listening to something, and, and it can be quite daunting. Um, to sort of like listen to that sound and be like, how the hell do they do that? But, um, you know, when you set a couple of limitations, like, you know, start off with a 99 and then breaking the sound down into different elements, like, uh, the, the punch and the, the crunch of the tail and the, the, the low harmonics for the tail that can make the process a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> no, no, I get it. I get showing it. you everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what distortion plugins would you use then? Um, the main one that I focus on is the Logic's clip distortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason being is because what that does is it's got this, like, first off, you know, um, certain bits of gear throughout time have just the sound, you know? Yeah. You don't play rock without a guitar. Uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're not going to have a piano concerto without a piano. You're not going to have a hard star kick drum w- without the clip distortion. You can try, mm-hmm. but that's just essential um, for this what that sound is so the thing about it is that it's also got like in this clip distortion it's got this cool uh, asymmetry uh function so with the distortion you can kind of you know if you, if you get your signal and you clip it it'll usually clip evenly over the the, yeah. the top and the bottom of the chain now with the, what a, that symmetry slider does is, is that it'll you know raise or lower the clip level on either side of like the the, the, the zero um uh, what's the word? The zero uh, line, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so that's essential for the sound because when you clip it in, um, uh, you know, lower it or raise it, that'll change the, the the harmonics that are generated. And then you've got a little filter in the clip distortion that'll high pass a little bit. You know, it's a 6 dB uh, high pass filter, and that will of course change how the distortion reacts. Um, because if you've got less bass, certain frequencies will come out a little bit more and so on and so forth. So the clip distortion in Logic um, is essential for that because it just has everything in the one package. You can try and do something a little bit similar uh, in, in, in Trash 2 or with a whole bunch of plugins, but it's kind of like a you know perfect solution to have everything there uh, with, with Logic's clip distortion. And so that's the main one that uh, I would use. And I don't use just one, of course. I use a couple yeah. of them uh, in, the, in the chain. But uh, that's the main plugin to, to get that hard stuff kick drums out. I've heard a lot of people say, uh, talk about Logic's clip distortion with hard stars. So that makes sense. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite uh, infamous, actually. And yeah, I'm not yeah. too sure where people started using it. I think it's um, from, you know, whenever Logic became a little bit more popular and, and, and hardcore producers, because this all goes back to hardcore. They were the first ones that started distorting stuff in the in, uh, in electronic music in the 90s. And then some guy was like, all right, if I take 909 here and I put it with this kick, with this plugin over here, this sounds cool. And, you know, at the sort of primordial soup of, of, of harder electronic music at that time, you know, it kind of grew. That was the technique and that was the sound. And so it just kind of all evolved from there. That's uh, so cool. Uh you know, your music is, is incredibly creative. So I'm curious as to how you start a track. Do you start with an idea, a sound effect, a chord progression, or does it change every time? Uh, it changes every time, but usually it starts w- with an idea. And I and the thing is, though, like I, I'll always divide my time up into sessions, you know, like this is like a jam session for mm. like I'm working on a melody today or a couple of melodies today. This is a sound design session. And then I've kind of got like my, my creative sessions where I'm like, all right, I've, I've made all my my prep or whatever. I've got this idea as I was working to the studio and, and probably the one that stands out to me the most is, is a track that I called the grid. And the whole idea from that was kind of inspired from, uh, from Kung Fury. And, um, for those who haven't seen or know what Kung Fury is, it's kind of like this, um, short, film that's like a throwback to all the terrible 80s cliches like over the all the over the top stuff and it's got this really cool synthwave soundtrack with david hasselhoff uh singing the 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 main theme song and it's just so 80s and i thought you know i love this and and i love synthwave or the dreamwave or whatever people call it um i love this but hang on is there a possible way for me to combine that with hard stuff and 
that sort of started turning some gears in my head and that, and, and I was like, okay, cool. Well, let's, you know, work on some of the sound design for that. And then I left that for a couple of weeks and then, oh, I've had an idea for some lyrics that are going to go with this. So I contacted a, um, a voiceover artist with some lyrics that I wrote and then the whole thing started coming together. So usually what happens is if, if I've got my you know, if I don't have an idea and I go to the studio, it's usually a sound design day. Mm. Um, but if I have an idea, you know, I'll, I'll write that down in a little book. And then when I've got a spare day uh, uh, that I'm not working on anything, um, that I'm not finishing any tunes or not doing any sound design or whatever, uh, then I'll sort of, all right, I've got this idea sort of half baked. How can I create this? How can I come into fruition? All right, well, if the feeling is like this, okay, I need chords that are going to match that feeling. I don't really do that much stuff at random because, you know, I mean, that, that, that can be a legitimate way of working, but, you know, my head is always going with different things from different things that I've seen throughout the day or that I've heard throughout the week um, or that I've watched, uh, you know, through, throughout the past few months. And so there's always something ticking in the back of my mind. And yeah. What I wanted to do, but when I get to the studio, is like, is this idea formed enough in my head so that I can actually create it in the time in the studio, or you know, I don't want to waste my time. You know, studio time is precious, man. You know, I've got yeah. to be productive, and and I'll, I've got to you know do stuff. I, I, the rent doesn't pay itself, so <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want to I don't want to uh, you know get in there and I'm like, all right, I've got this this day of doing nothing. I've got no ideas. You know, that's yeah, uh, that, that, that's. That, that's not effective. That's not an effective use of time. And I don't think that, you know, that that's helpful. Uh, so instead, like if I don't have an idea and I'm just not inspired to go to the studio, I don't. And that's really important as well, because I feel that the, the brain and the creative juices, it's like a muscle sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, it needs a rest. Other times it needs a bit of a workout. And usually in those workouts, I, I, I that, that's when I switch on my PS4 and try and absorb some, some, uh, some stuff that's going on. Now yeah. what's going on in, in this particular game world, how are the sounds uh, or whatever. But yeah, when, when it comes to starting an idea, uh, the idea is already kicking about in my head first. And then uh, I let it grow uh, over time and maybe I'll write it down. Um, and then, you know, when it's kind of ready or I'm ready, uh, you know, I'll jump into the studio and do as much as I can on that idea. I'm glad that you said that. Cause I feel like a lot of people, including me in the past, you know, they, they sit down, uh, without any sort of idea or, or objective for that session and spend the next two hours kind of mucking around and getting nothing done. And like you said, sometimes that's, that can be good to just let things happen in, in, at random, but it doesn't happen that often. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, think of it as like going for a walk, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to go for a walk, you know, more, more often than not, you've kind of got an objective in mind, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're going to the bush, you'll go for a bit of a walk about or whatever, but, and sometimes, you know, you'll go off the beaten track and you'll find something really amazing, but more often than not, you know, the more effective use of your time is like, okay, I've got a bit of a plan. Yeah. Uh, let's go somewhere and let's, let's be effective with the time that I have. Good analogy. Uh, it sounds to me like you're a lot more organized than most artists. Uh, so <laughs> I want to ask, what does your, your daily schedule look like? How much time do you spend producing? What do you do outside of production? And how do you balance all of that with, uh, you know, playing shows and touring? Oh man, look, I, I reckon I lead a pretty boring life to be honest, <laughs> uh, because you know I'll I'll get up, I'll have my brekkie, and maybe watch something on Netflix for a little bit as I sort of like the engine starts up, and I'll have my coffee or whatever, and then and then I'll go to the studio and I'll stay there um, until it's you know dinner time, and and and, mm. and usually I I'll spend maybe eight to twelve hours a day in in the studio, and that's usually five days a week, because um, on the weekend I've got shows. Yeah. Um, and like that, that can seem like it's a pretty boring existence, but, and maybe it is, but I don't, think know, so, man. I don't know, like I, I love music and I love yeah. making music and, and I love the whole process around it. So be it, be it sound design or be it coming up with, with ideas or, 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 or whatever, or even just, just listening. Sometimes I'll have days where I just, just listen. Mm. Just the environment in the studio is good to listen. So yeah, that's kind of my day. Um, yeah, for 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 from Monday to Friday, and then the, on the weekend, I, I strictly reserve that for shows. And maybe I'll have like a a Monday off if I'm like got a bit of jet lag or something, and I'm coming yeah. from playing in the in the states or whatever. Um, but yeah, 
so that's kind of how, how that's kind of juggled. I mean, I've got a booking agent who's a, a who's very patient and takes care of most of the stuff for me when it comes to doing shows and are like, okay, you've got to do this now. You've got to do that now. Mm. Uh, or, Hey, yeah, you're supposed to be the airport in two hours. So hurry <laughs> up. Uh, <laughs> but, but for the most part, it's kind of, it's, it's very regimented. And, and yeah. from, from the outside, if, if this wasn't music, so people was just seeing my day going from one, from my house to another building and then backwards and forwards, a quick, you know, it's like a job, but you know, being disciplined with what you do, um, maybe just because I'm a little bit older, um, and I've had that time to sort of like fart us around and, 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 and just experiment with like, Hey, is this going to be a hobby or a job or whatever? Yeah. But when it becomes my sole income, I want to be disciplined and I want to be effective with what I'm doing. So that's it. You know, Monday yeah, and Friday yeah. in the studio, as much time as you can. Let's do, let's, let's do this. Come on. Yeah, man. Yeah, doesn't I, think, write itself. I think that's so important, even if it's not your profession yet. Like, uh, maybe this is just in the music production community because it's so, you know, like the, the demographic is largely young people. Uh, but I feel like a lot of people think that having a regimented or, you know, strict schedule is a bad thing and it stems creativity. But from everything I've read, uh, you know, you look at the like authors throughout history, um, artists, painters, all that kind of stuff. They all had like extreme discipline and, and strict schedules and would work for three to four hours a day with, with high intensity every day. Uh, and for some reason that, that kind of mindset or that approach doesn't, it isn't that popular. I find at least in the electronic music production community, which is unfortunate. Yeah, like, um, maybe it's because like the demographic is, you know, uh, teenage mm-hmm. tweens, uh, usually dudes who sort of like, Hey, it's fun. I, I, I want this to be fun. Um, and I'm having fun, so I'm not, let's not take it too seriously. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's got a little bit to do with it as well. But um, when you sort of know your tools a little bit better and understand how your creativity works a little bit better, understand how you work a little bit better, then you can kind of make a little bit of a plan around it. And I, look, I'll be honest with you, like, you know, even though it's important to, 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 to be productive, sometimes you're not, you know, you can't yeah, fire on all yeah, cylinders all the time. So you know, there'll be weeks sometimes where I'm just like completely drained and, and whatever, just like from playing shows or yeah. and stuff. So it's important to sort of like have that bit of, uh, you know, liquid time to sort of like, all right, this is just, yeah, whatever. But yeah, yeah. look, you know, I, I really find that when I'm more disciplined with what I'm doing, going to the studio uh, and making the most of it um, and, and understanding myself or like, okay, well, I don't have to be creative today. It's a sound design day. Uh, or, Hey, I'm really feeling this idea. All this other work can, you know, bugger off till, till tomorrow because mm. I, this idea is going to be awesome and I'm going to work on it. You know, there's, there's a bit of like, you know, leeway here and there, but man, I never, I never thought I'd agree with my parents. <laughs> never thought I would. No, I, honestly, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll oh, get it. You know, come on, Sam, get up, blah, blah, blah. You've got to do it. <laughs> Hurry up. Get to it. I never thought that like that would actually benefit me. Yeah. And yeah. in doing what I wanted to do in what I love doing, uh, in the world of music. And it does, you know, oh, yeah. the th- and the thing is though, um, you can consider it like playing an instrument and practice, right? Yeah. My, my brother's like, he's very musical. He, he plays the piano, he plays the saxophone, he picked up the double bass, he picked up the electric bass. And the only way he managed to do that is, is just like playing crazy amount, uh, 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 practicing crazy amount of hours um, throughout the week. Now, the reason why I say this is because when he comes to jam and he, you know, he, he jumps on the keys or whatever, he's got skill like nobody else I've, ever, I've seen and he yeah. can pick up almost any instrument. And the reason he can do that is because he's put in that discipline and it pays off. So yeah, it's worth, uh, worth building good habits. I Absolutely. Think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so do you get creative block writers block and do you have any routines or habits that you use to overcome that? Um, I guess, yeah, yeah, definitely. I always get writer's block. I mean, um, I think the main thing is understanding where the source of the block is from. Mm. Um, that, cause that, that, that's very important for some, sometimes it's like, 
hey, am I trying to make this track do something that the track doesn't want to do? Yeah. So am yeah. I trying to shoehorn an idea here that doesn't fit within this realm? Am I forcing something, you know? Uh, I, I remember reading some, like, Zen stuff about, like, you know, letting the water flow and, you know, you, you can only divert the flow of water a little yeah. bit, but it's going to go in it. Yeah. So that kind of an approach um, of, like, understanding yourself uh, I think goes a long way. Is it that? Is Or is it just like, hey, I'm just literally mentally exhausted because I've been doing too much or the reverse. Have I been doing absolutely nothing? So I've got no ideas because I've just been fired us and around all week and just playing, <laughs> playing COD, you know, <laughs> it, it, understanding that sort of, I, that part of writer's block yourself uh, is really important. And then it could be like, Hey, all right, I can't progress further with this tune because I don't have the skill to make the sound that mm -hmm. I want. Then, then, okay, cool. Sound design session. Let's go. Uh, yeah, I'm not happy with the mix of this track. I'm not happy with the kick or the, uh, the, 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 the growls in, in this track, you know, that, that, uh, that, so having that writer's block because you can't get any further in the track, you know, um, because your own limitations, it's under, it's important to understand that as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the main thing. Like, and it takes a while. It's not like I just sort of like walk into the studio 15 minutes playing on, on the keys and I'm like, Oh, I've got writer's block. Okay. So this is going to happen. Sometimes it takes days to understand what the hell is wrong. Um, but usually I find it's like a, a couple of things like, yeah, I'm, I'm not ready or I'm not in a good headspace or some shitty stuff has happened uh, over the past week. So emotionally I'm a bit of a wreck. Um, yeah. Understanding yourself um, to get past writer's block is so important because at the end of the day, you're the writer. Yeah, so yeah. the problem is you. I think that's crucial advice because unfortunately people like to apply like a one size fits all answer to writer's block and they say you know just go for a walk for 15 minutes and it'll go away and it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> it no. doesn't fix it um because it can be you know multiple different things uh that's that's awesome advice so interesting question if someone had six months to become a decent producer and i use that word carefully uh okay. <laughs> what would you suggest they do what would be the best way to practice or learn uh, in addition to just spending a lot of time making music, which is necessary. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the the most important advice is learn how to reverse engineer stuff. Mm. So uh, learn how to remake the sounds that you like and then learn how to twist those sounds into cooler sounds. Uh, I think that's the key um, to understanding or to becoming a, a better producer. So like before you talked about some of the old writers and some of the old painters, and I'm really fascinated by the old painters and, and a lot of painters from the, like a lot of the great masters from the Renaissance, mm. um, they would learn how to paint like the artists before them. Um, and, uh, one of the, the most famous ones, cause I live in the Netherlands. One of the most famous ones is Rembrandt. And he yes. was actually yeah. learning how to paint like the Italian guys, um, like 50, 100 years before him. And then eventually he developed his own style and um, he learned how to use those techniques and, and then became a master himself. So that's so important to, to be able to reverse engineer stuff that you like or stuff that is considered, you know, classic or whatever, uh, and then acquire those skills and how to reproduce that and then being able to twist that onto yourself. So that's that, that I think is an essential uh, bit of advice to... to you know, to, to, to pursue if you had six months, you know, all right, you know, whoever's hard or whoever's got really stellar production, spend six months understanding how yeah. their music works, how their sounds work. And then maybe even go a step further, listen to what they listen to and then listen to what those artists listen to as well. So you can get into the right headspace. Yeah. That, that is such good advice. Totally agree. Uh, following on from that, then what are some of the, the biggest mistakes you see new producers making? Um, I think getting discouraged to first off getting discouraged early. So, Oh, I've spent three months producing something. No one signed my record. Um, I don't have a, you know, beatport top 10 and I'm not signed on spinning. I'm going to quit. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's an extreme <laughs> example, but my Happens, Facebook man. timeline is full of my Facebook timeline is full of like, you know, up and coming producers who have been working away and they're like, they get discouraged early and, that, that's number one. So persist. My journey was 10 years before I made music that I wasn't embarrassed, embarrassed by. So 
there you go. It takes time. Um, and then the second bit of advice is worrying about other people. Um, everybody's own musical journey happens at the, its own pace. And so it can be, again, very discouraging. If you see somebody that's been working for less time than you have to get further than you have to get better stages or, you know, they, they better recognition because they're attracted this or, 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 you know, Oh, he's sampled this vocal or he's used this melody line that was in a sample pack. And so he's, yeah, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's very easy to compare yourself when you're starting out to other people who are kind of similar to you and then get jealous of them. And I see that a lot. That's a shame. Um, and in, in the end, I don't think that helps your own music. That just brings you down. Yeah, I think it's yeah. more important to focus on yourself and what makes your own music better. Um, yeah, so those are the two things that are that that I see that that a lot of new producers do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's what's been the biggest challenge you've faced so far in your journey as an artist? Um, understanding that each artist is different, um, and for a long time, um, I tried to fit into. Uh, other artists mold I'd like and and that that always happens you know you you produce like the uh, the people around you or, or like the scene that you want to be a part of so when I first started making hard style I was trying to make music that was like headhunters like noise controllers uh, like wild styles and you know I, as much as I tried um, first off they'd been doing their sound for a long time so I was never gonna match that and, and second off um, that's not who I was as a person. Yeah, yeah. So they write their music because of their, in their way because it's a reflection of them. Uh, and it took me a while to understand that, like, hey, okay, it's important to compare technical details. Like, okay, the mix is a little bit like this or the, this particular sound works like that way. But there's no point me trying to write music like them when I'm not them. Mm, you know, I've mm. got to understand what my own music is like. Um, and, and that takes a while. I, I call that artistic maturity because when you, you know, when you first start out, you want to be like your heroes. And of then course. later on, further down the line, after a couple of years, you're like, well, okay, they are my heroes, but there's no point me trying to be like them because they are them and yeah, I am me. Yeah. So that's, that, that took me a long time to learn. Um, but you know, again, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, a thing of the self and that's all looking inwards. And, and, and when I understood that, um, and I started making music my way rather than trying to make music other people's way, uh, I became a lot happier as a person. And, and the thing is at, at that point you start having your own sound and that's what a lot of, um, people say time and time again to new producers, get your own sound. That's kind of yeah. how you do it. You discover yourself, you, you, you understand you know, what it is like, okay, I'm not trying to be like them per se. If I just, you know, tweak a little bit more, what is it that I'm trying to say in my own music? What, what is me? Mm. Um, and that's the beginnings of having your own sound. So you've kind of talked about understanding yourself or understanding oneself uh, multiple times. This might be an impossible question to answer, but how, like, how would someone go about doing that? Uh, let's say they, they do feel like they're trying to fit a mold, um, which is super common, uh, and they're a little bit scared of trying to go out on their own and make their own style. Uh, how how can that person understand themselves a bit better, know who they are, know who they are as an artist? I mean, do you have any tips or, or advice for that? It, it's, a, it's a bit hard because it's, a, it's, a, it's also a very personal journey. You know, there's not really a one-size-fits-all type thing. But I really feel that that starts happening when people build up their own confidence in, in themselves, you know, when they're, when they're stronger uh, by themselves. And, and a lot of the times, like to, to make this a really simple example, right? Um, uh, if I go back to the track that I was talking about, uh, my own track, The Grid, that's a mix between, you know, the, the synthwave and, and, and hardstyle sort of stuff. No one had done anything quite like that before in hardstyle. Yeah. And it would have been very easy for me to sort of like, for, for, the, for the doubt to set in and say, well, no one's done anything like this. It doesn't sound right. The hardstyle crowd is not going to like that. Mm. Don't do it. Just do something a little bit more easy for them to understand or something that they're going to like more. But in the end, I didn't do that. I, I took a, you know, it sounds really silly, but I took a look at myself. I just sort of asked myself, hang on, hang on. I like this stuff. Why can't I do it? Mm. If I like it, you know, I want to have the confidence to be able to do it. And that's, that's it, I guess, you know, having that self-confidence to sort of go off and like, yep, I like it. I'm going to do it my way. And 
and I guess that's sort of like the beginnings of of of, of, of looking at yourself and looking inwards. You know, it, it's it's a bit like you know being a bit of a six year old. No, I want it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and putting your foot down, and having a bit yeah. of a tandy uh, and stuff. But hey, this is me. I'm doing it this way, and yeah. and that comes that comes in time. That that really does, you know. And and the thing is, you know, with with, with the demographic that we're, we're, we're the main demographic that we're talking to, you know, the the dudes, late teens, yeah, tweens, yeah. they know what they want. They do know what they yeah, want. You know, yeah. they 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 they're becoming of age and stuff. So yeah, deaf, deaf. It, it, have that confidence to be able to like, nah, I want it this way. It's gonna be this way. It's a little bit different, but I don't care because I like it. I love that man and I think like the worst what's the worst case scenario you make a track you get a few hateful comments but those people shouldn't be your fans anyway like you shouldn't care about them exactly exactly right exactly and your real fans they'll follow you they'll appreciate you for what you do there you go I mean someone like uh, multiple artists come to mind but like a Matt you know he spent years in the trance scene and drum and bass and then he just starts making dubstep and like all this other kind of stuff and he gets a load of hate but he has this core group of just super fans that that follow him around uh everywhere and love his music so it can be done definitely definitely cool man well one more question uh if you could collaborate with one person who would it be and why oh you know uh that's really tough um you know i i at the start of the show, you know, I had my heroes, BT and, and, and Noisy. I'd love to work with, with them. Or just, you know, I think more than just working with them, I'd love to sort of just be a fly in the wall yes, for a couple yeah. of weeks in the studio um, just I'll to understand the state of mind. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what Skrillex did when it were, you know, before he started Skrillex. He, he hit up Noisy's manager and stayed uh, for, I think it was like a month wow. uh, around there and was like a fly in the wall just understanding how they, how they work. So... You know, that's what I would like to do a little bit more rather than um, strictly collaborating because then, you know, say you jump on, jump in the studio, what if you don't hit it off, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. They say never meet your heroes. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not true. What I would like to know is like, how do these guys work? What makes them tick? And how can I learn from that rather yeah, than just being like, yeah. okay, cool. I like that sound. I like that sound. Let's do something. Yeah, no, definitely. I imagine if I was in the studio with any of those guys, I'd, I'd probably just shut up and not say anything. Maybe ask the exactly. odd question. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Like, like, what's that plug-in? <laughs> <laughs> How did you do that? Yeah, that's 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 exactly right. I, I feel exactly the same. Well, Sam, it's been a, it's been a great discussion. Uh, thanks heaps for coming on the show. And before you go, where can people find you online? Uh, if you've got Facebook, and I'm sure almost everybody does, uh, Audio Freak DJ, uh, Twitter, Audio Freak DJ, Snapchat, Audio Freak DJ. Um, if there's any other social media, it's probably going to be using at Audio Freak DJ. Um, I've got music on Spotify. You can find me on YouTube, um, Audio Freak DJ. It's all there. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Out of darkness to daylight. <laughs>